Hello, lovely listeners, and welcome back to another episode of Picking at Perfection. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope you are all well. So I've invited guest Cora Lydon to join me for a discussion. Cora is the owner and founder of Brightspark Publishing, and she's a freelance journalist. She's written so many diverse articles on feng shui, love, stress, chocolate, honestly, to name a few. On top of that, she's recently published her very own children's book, and this is in ebook format. So this forms the basis of much of our discussion in terms of comparing our preferences for paper and technology. But through that, we get into so much more in regards to discussion of the quality of current information and the importance of fact-checking when you're reading the news and consuming any kind of media. Now, we got a bit carried away, so I actually didn't give Cora a chance to list her contact information at the end of the episode. So if you'd like to get in touch with Cora, her website is linked in the show notes, and you can follow her on Instagram at books by Cora Lydon, all one word. And so now, on with the show. So huge welcome to you, Cora, and thank you so much for joining. Thank you for having me. Wanted to start us off with a quote. Now, this has been super hard to find a quote that is on my side, so I'll give it my best shot. So first of all, starting with this one. So a digital book can't be infused with smells, can't press flowers in between its pages, and it can't contain spilt tears or coffee stains. And then I found a really interesting one that we both found amusing, which was Getting information off the internet is a bit like taking a drink from a fire hydrant, 100% accurate and can relate to that. Yes. (laughs) But those are sort of the best ones I found around the topic. And with this, before we get into sort of the main content, I wanted to check what your personal definition of perfection was, as we do with all our guests. I think perfection is a brilliant goal to have, but the journey to get there is far more important. Um... Nothing I do is perfect, unfortunately, but I am proud of every single thing that I do because I've always tried my hardest. Okay, nice. I like that. So sort of using it as a goal to encourage your progress is good. I think you're probably the first guest that said that it is a good thing. I think it's a difficult gauge in terms of it varying person to person. But I like the fact that you take it in a positive way and it makes you strive for your best. So that's really cool. On to the main topic then. So first of all, we thought we should unveil our preference for digital world versus kind of paper analog world. So do you want to go first and maybe say your reasoning why? Yeah, absolutely. So I am totally in the paper camp. When I started as a journalist, it was very much paper I started and only one computer had internet in the whole of the room of about 20 people. I probably haven't moved with the times and I have never made really the transition into the digital world, to be honest. I kind of stuck where I'm comfortable it, a generation thing possibly does come into it. Like I I sort of had a little smile to myself there when you said that one computer had internet. To put it in perspective, I don't even know how to use a fax machine. Like that is how forward I am. <laughs> I think we, in my first job, uh, as soon as I got there, the fax machine got converted into an email address. So our fa- if anyone did fax us, it would come into an email inbox. So we didn't have to do anything with the actual machine. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm probably giving this impression that I'm in my 50s, but I'm actually not. (laughs) I'm only 40. But, you know, my first job, we had one machine with the internet and we had a library. 
And so we would go to the library and get the books if we were researching an article. That was just how we worked. Wow. No, that is insane. But nice to have a library on site. I still like that idea because I think from even being digital like I am, I think a library is still a nice place to visit because, I don't know, it just has a, a sense about it of kind of knowledge or empowerment, I suppose. Yeah, there's something nice about the way you can go into a library and you're looking for topic A but a book on topic B catches your eye and it takes you off somewhere else. Yeah, definitely. Versus, or that description versus the quote we said about the internet. I think that that is definitely uh, an advantage of a library because I think on the internet you could just get distracted and go into way too many tangents. Whereas I think a library might be more precise, but probably you have to put a bit more work into finding it in a book, I suppose, because you can't just search in a bar like you can with Google or whatever. This is true. I mean, I used to work in a library when I was younger and it was probably my most favourite job that I've ever had, actually. And when I was meant to be shelving all the books and putting them back, I used to go and find a little corner and sit and just get distracted with books. That's great. Nice. I love that. My mum always says that she wants to be a librarian for that reason. When she sort of, uh, she looks, she's a childminder at the moment, but when she sort of goes towards retiring, she wants to become a librarian. I'm like, you better hurry up because it might not be a career sometime soon. (laughs) I know. Oh gosh, it's such a shame all the libraries closing though. It really is. That is sad for me because I, yeah, I'm, I suppose that leads me into discussing my preference. I'm, I'm sort of on the fence because I do, I very much agree with both the quotes that we mentioned in the fact that a book is an experience. Um, and I, I do still value that in holding paper. There's, there's something about the experience of flicking between pages, especially when you're talking about reading. I suppose that technology for me is probably the more convenient option. From a very young age, I used paper sort of as planning and, you know, writing and things like that. I suppose only recently I've swapped to fully being digital in in the last year or so. And I think it is just a convenience factor because if I write something down, I can search for it and refer to it later. But I do still value the um, experience that, that paper has to offer. I do read the occasional book, but I still have a Kindle because I can't store the many thousands of books, or maybe not thousands, but the many hundreds of books that I have on there, if that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, totally. I mean, actually, I have a Kindle, and that's probably the only area of my life where I am more pro-digital, I would say, because it is not being able to take books away with you and that sort of thing. But then at the same time, I was thinking that, I have a lot of books and I have books that my mum had when she was young and she passed to me and I would hope that I pass them to my children and you can't do that with a digital Mm. file. You kind of lose that sense of ownership and, oh, this was my mum's and this was my grandma's and I don't know. I think people like to hold books and they're Mm. kind of treasured possessions. No, that's really interesting as well, actually, because I noticed recently, because... Uh, certainly, I suppose this is still down the technology route, but when I was younger, if you wanted a file, sorry, if you wanted to have a song or a film or some kind of digital media, you would, okay, so in sort of my very young days, you'd buy the CD, but then when times moved on, you'd buy 
the um, MP3 from iTunes or Windows or wherever you're shopping. And the same with a film, you'd buy the DVD, later life, Blu-ray. But now everything is going towards not having ownership. Like, do you see that yourself as well? Because obviously, you know, Spotify, Apple Music, you don't own the music, you just pay monthly to listen to it. And then the same with like Netflix, Disney, everyone's got a streaming service where you don't own things anymore. I think that's sad. You wouldn't be able to lend the latest film to your friend because they'd have to have the account. Do you know what I mean? I think that's a an interesting transition that we're taking at the moment. And I, I don't know if it is a little bit worrying in the sense that we're not owning things, we're just renting in a way. I think with the situation that we're in currently, kind of people are leaving their paperback books on other people's doorsteps you know, and you can't do that with a digital file. You know, I think people are kind of, there's something nostalgic about kind of this paperback books, that sort of thing, and being able to share them with neighbours and friends and showing that you're thinking of them by, you know, picking one of your books that you think they'd enjoy. And there isn't a way to do that unless you're going to leave your Kindle on their doorstep, of course. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it doesn't fa- sound as or doesn't seem as meaningful just sharing no, a link with them does it <laughs> thinking of you <laughs> um and that's probably led us nicely into our next question really because interestingly you've recently released a children's book and you chose to do a digital format that is, is that right that is right so um march i released two children's books and they're both available as a paperback and as a um, ebook, um, and that was more kind of a commercial decision, I guess, because for myself, I would buy books for my children. Um, we don't really read them digitally because I don't, I don't, I can't see that my children would derive as much entertainment and enjoyment from it for some reason. But perhaps I'm just passing on my own feelings to them um but interestingly at the moment it is the digital copies that are selling really well and I guess that's because they can't get hold of the paperbacks maybe because Amazon are experiencing delays I think this situation more than any is sort of really emphasizing maybe not the need but the want for instant because we are almost cut off well we are we've we're physically cut off from each other you know we're not supposed to well obviously it varies through different countries but most countries you're not supposed to see each other in person and you know passing physical objects is is more difficult because people mm. are, are confined to staying from home so people obviously in this time really need entertainment if they're not working as well so i think there's a massive emphasis on instant which is is quite interesting yeah there is yeah, I'm quite happy to wait, to be honest, but that's that's probably just me. And I think I probably am forcing that onto my children a bit. For example, if we're watching the TV, like a film that we might have videoed off the telly, I don't even know if other people do that still, but um, I always make them sit through the adverts because I think it, it, teaches them, <laughs> it teaches them a little bit of um, patience and kind of waiting. That is such a good point. <laughs> Because I think you've touched on a really good note, like that people don't wait anymore. They expect everything instantly. No. We talked about this with, with Ruth in another episode that people can order cars, food, everything just comes instantly. And I think this is probably quite a nice, not reckoning, but emphasis to society, maybe a little bit that, you know, it's okay to wait. It's okay not to have this super busy life.
life where everything comes to you instantly. And I, th- I think that's a really good moral. If I have kids, I would definitely make them watch the adverts if adverts are still a thing by then. <laughs> yeah, just take your time, enjoy it. Take the advert break to think about what you've watched, mm. you know. So, yeah. No, that's definitely... A... They don't like me much for it, <laughs> No, I think that's a good <laughs> discipline. They'll thank you for that in later life, I'm sure. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and to comment on your when you said about how you would prefer to have uh you know a physical book with reading through with your kids as like maybe like a bedtime story I don't know I think mm-hmm. that is a fair point and I don't know if it would be the same reading a, a children's book at bedtime on a kindle I just don't see that I think that is definitely an area that I would prefer a physical book for um and also yeah. there's such an emphasis on reducing screen time at the moment as well so I think to see something or to use an analog way of entertainment i.e a book before bed is definitely a positive thing yeah I mean I think as well that when I read for myself I'm reading purely for my own kind of entertainment and when I read with my children, it, it perhaps serves a slightly different purpose. So I am looking to entertain them, but it's also about spending some time together and perhaps we might explore what we've been reading and kind of how does that make them feel and is there any story within it that we can relate to. And it, it just, I think you can flick back through a book the the pictures are so much more vivid they can't be reproduced on a screen at the same quality no I love that and that sounds like you're almost going through a creative process with them you know like sparking inspiration and creativity within them that's yeah I mean that's what I hope to do I mean my eldest she's six years old and she's very much into writing stories and making books and she gets up quite early and every morning she comes in and she's got a new story that she's written and every morning I'm blown away by her imagination and what she's written. That sounds absolutely amazing. Your daughter has you know such a clear role model in you that she you know she wants to be like her mum and write and be creative and and that's amazing. That sounds like she's a super inspired young lady. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, I've got a book that um, I wrote when I was about six years old and it's called The Little Girl and the Dog. And um, I've still got it now. And so when my daughter started to do this, I've kept every single one of those little paper books and I keep them all together. And I think I want her to be able to have them and look back at them and show her children and Wow, I love that. Yeah, my writing has improved. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, suppose on that topic, is is screen time something you're, it's, I suppose not pop culture, but it's very much something we're exposed to in the news and all of our phones and things like that have notifications and trackers and things like that now. Is it something you monitor with your children? Is it is it like a concern for you? Mm-hmm. Um, and is it something you ongoingly manage with them? Yes, I mean it is a it is a concern and it's something that we actually talk about quite a lot because we're not a terribly technical household but we know that our children do need access to technology because it's such an important part of life now and I want them to know how to navigate it. For Christmas they were both given a kids Kindle fire from their godmother to be honest they weren't often going to them and using them 
And that has become something they're doing a lot more now that we're in kind of this lockdown phase. And I'm actually really grateful they have access to them. It's just something else that we can do. But we do we do try to monitor what they're doing. And to be honest, myself and my husband spend quite a lot of time Googling how do we keep our children safe online because we're not really sure how we should be doing it and what settings we should have. So we're trying to educate ourselves about that. But I suppose we're also quite fortunate that our children do quite like playing with toys. They're young enough, they're six and three, so they still like playing with their Lego and doing puzzles. They're not too demanding for going on to their tablets at the moment. I'm sure that will change. No, but that's good. It sounds like you've got them doing kind of constructive activities. And again, a theme I'm sort of picking up on is creativity and um, engagement and using all those. Is it the left side of the brain kind of skills um, in development and creating things? Yes, I believe so. Yeah, I work hard to sort of flex that muscle for them. (laughs) And we try, you know, we try to balance it. So, you know, oh, you've been on your tablet for an hour, let's go and play a game or let's go outside. You know, it's kind of balancing it, really. Mm. And I think that's important to say as well, like a point you made earlier about them being gifted the items and then that you've been managing it with them. I think that having the exposure is important as well as you couldn't just hold them and protect them completely because then when they you know go off to secondary school or something they'll start discovering things on their own I think it's good that they're learning these things in like a controlled environment with your monitoring because then they'll learn how to use it properly and also they like you say with the times at the moment they're going to have to use technology at some point because it's such a large part of our life so to learn at the start you know how to do it right I think is the right attitude it is and I mean it's been a learning curve we when we came into the sort of lockdown and started homeschooling I was sitting there and copying out all of the worksheets for her to do on paper because we only have one computer in the house and it was being used for work Um, and we were really lucky that a friend lent us a spare computer and so now my daughter has a little computer set up in the kitchen and she's able to complete them digitally and actually she prefers it, which I'm a little bit disappointed about. But if it works for her and it motivates her, then that's brilliant. Good, yeah. No, And I think based on what you mentioned, and obviously we talked about the time that we're in, I think if we didn't have technology, this would be a whole kind of, or we didn't have advanced technology as we do, I think this would be a whole kind of different situation in terms of, I'm imagining like worksheets being posted and couriered and like, for the schools, I think that would just be logistically insane. Gosh, yeah, it, it would be, it would be really... I can't even imagine those poor teachers, to be honest. So, no, I think I think with technology, we absolutely have to embrace it and take the parts that are useful to us and perhaps try not to get sucked into the bits that don't necessarily add something to mm. our lives. No, that's that's good. Um, taking the areas that serve you best, I think that's a, that's a good thing to take away from that. Just out of interest, so the girls having virtual lessons, like I've heard all sorts of things about PE being conducted via Zoom. Is that going on in your house? Well, we do attempt to do the Joe Wicks. Okay, um, yeah. Which doesn't work that well with all four of us attempting it because my eldest likes to be the PE teacher herself. Yeah, we do a few bits online with them. We do a few bits ourselves. We were given a great big bucket full of um, tadpoles 
So I was like, right, no schoolwork today. We're going to study the tadpoles. And nice. I think you get more from that than reading about tadpoles on a computer. She can see them. She can see them growing. I, I remember learning about tadpoles, actually. I mean, now it's very slow growing, but, uh, you know, we'll have about 400 frogs soon. <laughs> <laughs> and what are you going to do with them? <laughs> well, I have said to my husband that he's going to have to walk walk them up to the park that's yeah. at the top of our road and release them by the ponds, but he's not so keen because he doesn't know if they're all going to turn into frogs at the same time. <laughs> they might all herd and convulge on him. <laughs> I know. They are in the garden. I, I, there was no way I was having them in yeah. the house. Oh, so, sweet, though. Know. Oh, that sounds lovely. So I guess from my perspective, I used to be a big paper buff um, and I somewhat do revert that um, back to that sometimes in terms of taking notes or, or reading or whatever. But I think for me, there's something in each of them that can't be replicated within the other, if that makes sense. So a big thing about yes. me for, um, so I'm left-handed, so I'm very scruffy on paper and things like that and always have been. Um, so writing on an iPad, um, if I if it's not neat or if I want to fix it, I can always erase it perfectly and make it look more perfect um, and mm-hmm. more how I want it to be. So I guess for me, I, I don't know, I just have this innate need or want to be neat and I can never really do that with paper. Um, but from like an art perspective, I used to be like an art student and obviously you could never replicate sketching on a, a tablet like you could on paper. Yeah. So there's like things that, that, like you said, I think it's taking what serves you best and, and picking your means based on that. I think that's really, really good point. Yeah, I mean, I, I find kind of quite tricky to get technology working for me sometimes. So even now when I start a new book, I always handwrite it because I'll have little notes next to it and little, you know, might pin something to the page that's a particular colour I liked and that sort of thing. I just feel like I can look back at that notebook and I can see how the story has evolved from the first draft through to the final draft. That's Um, wonderful. It sounds like you're almost creating mood boards for books. It sounds visually beautiful. Well, no, it's it's not because (laughs) um, I'm not a perfectionist. (laughs) But I kind of, I like looking back at the journey, if, if that makes sense, and seeing how, how it's um, moved forward and the changes that I've made and that sort of thing. And for me, I don't I don't mind a little bit of scribbling here and there, my messy handwriting. I think there's no problem there. I think whatever means you use to, cre- like if people are creators or, you know, whatever you do in, in your life or in your career, I think it's always important to compare the journeys because... Uh, I can't even remember what it was, but I'm sure I was looking back on like emails I'd sent or some kind of work that I'd produced when I first started um, sort of in the industry, in the events industry that I'm in. And I, it just marveled me how far I'd come. And I think that's a really, you know, nice humbling process. And I don't know, it just, it really lifted me up for that day because I think when a lot of people are probably living much more in the now. So if I compared myself to, you know, yesterday or last week, I probably wouldn't see a difference. And having tangible evidence of your progress, I think that's a really good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, when my daughter's completing her work, if she gets it wrong, I always say, don't rub it out, leave it, just cross it through and, and rewrite it because 
for me, I'd rather her teacher could see that she didn't get it right first time, but she took the time to work out the answer and correct it. And if she'd have just rubbed that out or if she was just working on the computer solely, that would be lost. You know, the teacher would think, wow, Lila's done amazing. She's got it right. You know, and I think sometimes it, it's striving for perfection all the time, but also understanding that when we don't kind of reach perfection, when we fail, that's what kind of breeds ingenuity. You know, people think, well, what could I do differently? How can I improve this? And if you've got it perfect first time, you you don't have the same drive to kind of better yourself or better the situation. I love that. That's brilliant. I was always um, told in school, I, I don't know if you were the same, but um, in exams, like show you're working out, even if you don't know the answer, work some of it out because that counts for marks. So I think that's a really good mindset to have. And um, and that, I guess that's probably drilled into me in, in some um, ways because of that teaching. Yeah, absolutely. But I think you can still show that you've grasped a, to- a topic even if you haven't quite got to the the right answer. Yeah, no, definitely. So from a bit of background reading that I did, and this was sort of, I suppose, off mainly personal blogs and things like that, but the general verdict was that all these kind of digital platforms we have are in some way cutting out the middle party. So for an example, you know, I wouldn't be able to do this podcast without the means of technology. I don't send it off to an editor. So the middle party could almost be like an editor, for example, at some of the larger magazines and publications you've worked in. Mm -hmm. One, would that be fair to say that, do you agree in terms of the the editor is being cut out in a lot of these senses? To some degree, I I think... So what there has been an increase in is kind of citizen journalism, where every single person is uploading content. And I think it's important that everyone has the opportunity um, to have their voice, have their opinion, have their say. But I think as the reader, what we need to be careful of is there is such a volume of content that you have to question what you're reading all the time. Um, So as a journalist, I spend an awful lot of time researching every story that I do and going to reputable sources for that information. But that's not to say that someone who is running their own blog would have done the same. So as a reader, you need to be able to question what you're reading. I completely get what you're saying in terms of we almost have to not be the editor, well, I suppose kind of be the editor of, you know, what information we're taking in. Again, another thing that's huge and talked about at the moment is, you know, fake news. And because there is so many platforms out there, you know, any anyone can launch their own blog, anyone can launch a podcast, you know, I'm, I'm proof of that. And social media and things like that, I think it just, everyone has to be so careful about what they actually take in as fact before sharing it and things like that. Um, but I don't think that mindset has necessarily hit everybody yet but I think that's something that we need to pass almost to the next generation and make sure that we're implementing ourselves yeah absolutely I mean obviously social media hasn't really been around that long yet and I think what we perhaps haven't really quite seen yet is the fact that you know if it's written in the newspaper then tomorrow it's your fish and chip wrapper but if it's written on the internet it's there for Ever, or you know the lifespan of the internet 
and you, you can't get away from that. I'd never sit down and publish something without having spent a considerable amount of time making sure that I've addressed all of the angles. Everyone's had their fair opportunity to talk. That's kind of lost with social media and blogs and also a little bit with digital content because people can do it instantly. You know, when when I've worked um, on, say, a monthly magazine, you have a month-long cycle, so you would write and then it would go to someone to be edited and then it might come back to you for amends and then it might be sent off to the designer and then it comes back and you have the opportunity to proofread it. And there are so many steps that are taken, but that they are missed out with a lot of platforms now. There are platforms out there where, as a writer, you there's no sub-editor. You write it and you upload it and it's there and you are responsible for checking that it's accurate, that you, know, you haven't kind of written anything that's going to bring anybody into trouble, if you know what I mean. So that's kind of what has been cut from these digital platforms. That almost you lose the time to reflect on what you've written. Because mm, it's too instant almost. It's just bam, straight out there. It almost, um, it takes me back to the days when I studied history, actually. Did you study history at school? I did, yes. And um, we, when we were writing essays or doing exams and things like that about evaluating sources, and I, I suppose it's probably not just history that that's included in, but I definitely remember sources being a big part of our history education. And we had to evaluate the the bias of them and the integrity almost, I suppose. So a big thing in, in when I was at school was not taking or if you did talk about information that was referenced on Wikipedia, was that you always had to mention that Wikipedia could be unreliable because anyone can edit it. And I suppose that's now the same for information on any media platform, you know, things like that that you had to evaluate and you had to say about the bias. I think that's a really important skill that I've probably picked up from from that education, if I'm honest. It is, and I think you take that with you both as someone who's producing content, but also as a reader, you can read something and think, well, hang on, has this person got an axe to grind or are they trying to push their own service? You, you can you can apply it both ways. Yeah, that's a big one at the moment about um, the difference between adverts and posts. So now everything has to be marked as an advert. If celebrities are saying, you know, I really like this, then it has to say in, in the line that they're being paid to promote that kind of thing. I think that's that's a good step towards getting a bit of integrity back. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, that happens across the board on, on newspapers, magazines. You know, everyone now has to flag up content um, appropriately. Speaking of editor, I, I'm interested to know in terms of when you were, were working for publications or when you're submitting articles to publications now, how how do you find it having sort of one character that can just cut, edit or alter your, or say even say yes or no to your kind of work? Like, how do you find that kind of relationship and dynamic? Was it difficult to kind of work with that kind of personality or, or power within the company? So when I was um, employed it actually worked really well because you build up your relationship with that editor and you kind of get to know uh, what they like and so when I was employed I was working on a single magazine we would have our monthly team meetings to discuss what would go in the mag and you know most of what I would suggest would make it into the magazine because 
I was familiar with, with what worked and that sort of thing. As a freelance, it's a lot harder because I could approach 20 different editors and your success is riding on them saying yes or no. And it's very difficult. You can't possibly know every publication inside out and every little detail of what each editor likes. So it's quite hard when you're freelance and you are just relying on this one person saying yes or no. And you know you have a good idea, but you have to convince them. And then next week you have to convince someone else. It's... um, it is difficult. I guess I suppose it's like a rapport kind of thing that you're it's you need to build. Yeah. You have to build those relationships and you have to prove yourself to be kind of reliable and trustworthy and to ultimately understand who the readers are that you're going to be writing for. Mm, yeah, no, definitely. I suppose when I, um, it's stereotypical, when I hear the word editor, I think of like um, Miranda from Devil Wears yeah. Prada or someone like that. That's exactly what I have in my head. <laughs> about her like I don't know throwing coffee or whatever she does to articles she doesn't like (laughs) so now obviously you're you're freelance you're you're doing your own thing and as you say submitting to multiple magazines and publications not just working for one do you feel um I suppose what I was originally going to ask was freer but what I now want to ask based on what you've talked about is do you feel more honest and like true to yourself so like maybe perhaps you're you're doing more of what matters to you rather than tailoring your articles to to knowing what the editor wants if that makes sense yeah absolutely um I've I've taken on jobs which perhaps I've done for the money rather than the love of it because I still have (laughs) to make a living But ultimately, being freelance, I kind of get to pick a little bit more what would I like to write. And you're still bound in some way by what the editor is expecting to ultimately see. But you also have the freedom to explore different areas and kind of explore some of your own passions as well. I mean, I've been really lucky that I started out. So I went freelance um, 15 years ago. And at that point, magazines were still doing quite well. And I had quite a good few years where I wrote just exclusively for magazines. And that was brilliant. And things have changed. Magazines are obviously on the decline. So kind of jobs available there are declining as well. And I've had to alter what I do. And I've never really done much digital work because, to be honest, I've always been a bit scared of the technology of it um but I've actually um just signed a contract to start working with a digital platform and I will be producing content five days a week for them so it's it's kind of going to be interesting to see how I adapt to that I suppose on the whole yes I would say I feel freer in being able to choose what I do I like having the freedom of being a freelance and it doesn't suit everybody but I think it's has always suited me very well because I'm quite self-motivated. I know that's really interesting because I think you're completely right. Like some people, I think if they were to go freelance, some people just wouldn't know where to start and possibly couldn't drive themselves. But I think that it just does require a certain amount of drive and also not panic as well, because I think 
being on your own feet and totally reliant on your yourself not having a company behind you um because obviously if there's a company employing you maybe perhaps if even if there's not work the company will still be paying to keep you because they need you when there is work however freelance you're completely you know reliant on your your own self going out and collecting that work so that is a huge hurdle and I absolutely commend you for for doing it and for you know 15 years that's a huge achievement so well done to you I think I think also just feeding back into the idea of perfection mm. as a freelance you're kind of always um you're only as good as your last job mm. so you're always striving to be as perfect as you can be and like I said at the beginning I am far from perfect and I don't necessarily believe in perfection as an ideal that we should all attain but I do believe mm. we should all work to our very best ability and as a freelance that's exactly what I have to do daily and if I don't do it I lose the work and I don't eat no that makes complete sense obviously you talked about regard being regards to freelancer is sort of more following the topics that you might be passionate about and things like that as I listed in the um, description of the episode you might not agree but I think you've worked on so many diverse topics um, and I wondered it how it is that you sort of keep on top of that and because I suppose you almost have to be considered an expert on certain things to, to write about it and is it that you just sort of do the research and, and follow your passion and learn about it or do you like keep abreast of these topics and and, you keep yourself updated I think it's a combination of both really so when I was working on just one magazine and I was employed it was a health magazine and so I felt it was part of my role to stay on top of what was very current what the trends were breaking stories that kind of thing as a freelance I kind of see my role slightly differently so I would be reasonably confident to write about most topics not because I'm an expert on them but because I feel I have the skills to find the right person to inform me and then to be able to take that information and present it in such a manner that the reader would understand it so for me it's just knowing where to go to find the right person to speak to who is a topic who is an expert on that topic I love that that makes total sense I always kind of take the attitude very much recently I suppose of trying to learn something new every day so not necessarily like a skill but you know some kind of fact or or piece of information and I do that sort of through various means do you kind of take on the same attitude so that if the opportunity ever comes up um you know for an article then you'd know where to start with that or what are your kind of methods and do you kind of learn and consume things every day yeah I mean I I think everyone probably learns um new things every day even if they're not necessarily aware of it and that can be kind of in digital form um so, for example, I decided I wanted to learn sign language and I thought, well, this would be a good thing for my eldest to learn as well. So we spent a few weeks learning a little bit of sign language together. But also sometimes it's just a friend might mention that they've got a new hobby and I'm interested and I'll say, oh, would you show me how to do it? Um, you know, my mum taught me how to knit and stuff like that. And maybe one day I will teach my daughter how to knit so for me I think 
I find learning far easier in person and having someone teach me rather than trying to learn it online. Obviously, the situation we're in now, that's not really possible unless it's, you know, one of my children teaching me their new dance. So if I want to learn something new, it is turning to the internet. So I think there's a place for both, really. I know I said to my husband that I wanted to put some panelling up in one of our rooms. And the next thing I know, he's on YouTube watching lots of videos about it. And he's he's absolutely convinced he can do it. And he's ordered a saw. <laughs> <laughs> a while ago, I wanted to wear a bow tie. I absolutely refused to wear a pre-tied one. So I was on YouTube, like frantically trying to learn how to do a bow tie for this event. And um, I managed to, su- <laughs> I, I successfully managed to do it. Obviously it didn't look the same as like a, a pre-done one, but I was weirdly proud that I'd done it myself. And even if it didn't look quite, you know, perfect or right, I took it to another, party it was basically a Christmas party so within the year between the parties I'd completely forgotten how to do it and completely panicking at last minute <laughs> trying to put this bow tie on and trying to learn how to do it again and um, my other half just whips out a, a pre-done black one as if he's prepared for this moment and says just wear this <laughs> I did. yeah I had to completely admit defeat <laughs> but I think that's the right attitude to take sometimes but it sounds to me like you always stay curious which I think is a really good thing um and something someone mentioned to me recently is because I'm probably guilty of trying of going off on on life tangents and thinking oh you know I'd really like to learn that or whatever but I think you have to not spread yourself too thin and it should be like a a hell yes and and dive into it or it should be a no I'll take a rain check on that kind of thing there should there should never be an in-between yeah no absolutely and you know you don't have to learn everything sometimes you might just learn one small element and that's enough. Yeah, no, completely. Okay, well, this has been a lovely and really invigorating chat. Um, so inspired, and it's been so lovely to speak to you about all these different topics. So thank you so much, Cora. You're welcome. To finish off, we normally end on sort of like a, a positive-themed note. So I'd be really interested to know what you think the, the most perfect thing you've done or experienced would be. I've, I've been thinking such a lot about this, and I feel like as a mum... I feel like I have to say my children, but actually I think the most perfect thing I've have done, you know, there's something new every single day because I do feel like I always, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to put my all into it and I'm always happy with the result. And it's not perfect in everyone's eyes, but it's perfect to me because I know the time I've invested in it and I know that I've tried really hard So I feel like, you know, this morning I made the perfect bacon sandwich. And and yesterday I, um, you know, we made a wonderful cardboard castle with the children. Nice. Yes, it is. (laughs) Which which one? The the bacon sandwich or the castle? (laughs) Both. I mean, they both sound great. I'd do that on a Saturday morning. Wait, I mean, it just sounds to me like you're at peace um, with sort of inner and exterior expectations, which I think is absolutely wonderful and and enviable. So again, to to commend you on that, that's excellent. Thank you. Would the answer be the same for the least perfect thing you've done or experienced? I I would say I've made silly mistakes and that sort of thing you know a couple of weeks into starting a new job I managed to drive my boss's car into a a stationary bus and I ended up being the headline rather than creating the headline but you know 
it taught me something. Wow. So... <laughs> News in action. Yeah. Yeah. I always feel like I, I always try to learn from the mistakes I've made. And I, I don't know, I don't ever really feel like... I don't ever feel like I've particularly made such a horrendous mistake that I can't get back from it, I suppose. Mm. Again, that sounds like you you don't dwell on on the past and you just sort of learn from it and, and move on. Um, and the quote comes to mind... Um, your past self doesn't need you, but your future self does. I, I love that. And I've been trying to live by that recently. Yeah, that's it. That's exactly it. Wonderful. It, and like I said, it's been an absolutely amazing chat. And thank you for taking the time out of your Saturday morning and building castles and bacon sandwiches to have this oh, conversation okay. with me. It's been really great. And I hope you've enjoyed it too. Yes. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. And make sure you hit that follow or subscribe button so you never miss an episode. I would love to hear from you either via my Instagram page or the Apple podcast review section. Catch you on the next one where we'll continue picking at perfection.